0: Get them close by. Turn to John chapter 3, verse 16. We're going to finalize our two week series today where we've been asking the question Will the real God please stand up? Last week we talked about an old television show where they would bring in celebrities and uh, people that were well known and they'd have to guess who the right one was. And at the end of the show, they would say, will the real whoever it is, please stand up. They'd always dramatize it. One would kind of halfway stand up and then they would kind of halfway and then they'd go through that for two or three times. And then finally the real person would stand up and their identity was known. You know, there are times in our lives when God kind of is confusing to us because he is so many things And in two weeks, we certainly cannot uncover everything that God is. But there were a couple of things that we wanted to talk about and then ask God, will a real God please stand up? Now, you know the answer is, is that God is everything. So depending on where we are in life and what we need, those characteristics begin to materialize in our lives. Last week, we talked about how that God is a God of holiness. He's a God of righteousness because he is holy, he expects us to be holy. He wants us to be holy. That doesn't mean that you have to wear a certain type of clothing or wear your hair, you know, in this holy manner. It's not an outward expression, but it is an inward reality. We are holy because he is holy. Today I want to talk to you for a few moments about the idea that God is love. Aren't you glad that God is love today? John chapter 3:16 is the most famous verse in the Bible. You hear it coming off the tongues of little children, you see it on NFL Monday night, Thursday night, Sunday afternoon football as somebody is always seated in the end zone and they've got a sign that they're holding up that says John 3:16. Everybody knows about John 3:16. It declares what every human heart wants to know about God. Is God love and does he love me? So today I want us to talk about it. Let's read John three sixteen. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Now, there's another passage that I want to share with you that brings basically this same message to us. It's found in 1 John chapter 4, verses 7 through 21. 1 John chapter 4, verses 7 through 21. It says, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love God does not know God, because God is No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. By this, we know that we abide in him and he in us because he has given us his spirit. And we have seen and do testify that the father has sent his son to be the savior of the world. So whoever confesses that Jesus is the son of God, God abides in him and he in God. And this commandment we have from him, whoever loves God must also love his brother. Father, thank you for your word today. I pray that you will help me to communicate in a fresh way and in a way that people will be able to understand what it means for you to be love and to be in us and for us to live in our, our lives in such a way that the love of God is expressed through our daily life. We're thankful for your word. It brings so much power and authority to our lives. It helps us become who we are. It builds faith in us. I pray today that as I speak, Lord, that I will draw people toward faith and that they will be able to believe what the word of God says, place their faith in it, and see their life changed and transformed by the word of God and by what you've done for us at Calvary. I ask it in Jesus' lovely name. Amen and amen. Look at your neighbor and say, I'm ready. How about you? Amen. Several years ago, Augustine, Augustine said, God loves each of us as if there was only one of us to love. Let me read that again God loves each of us as if there was only one of us to love. Can I see the hands of parents who have had multiple children in your life? Can I see your hands? Have you ever come to that season when one child begins asking, do you love me more than you love them? Who's your favorite daddy? Who's your favorite mommy? And, and of course we all say, well, I don't have favorites. I love you both the same, but that never satisfies them. Isn't that true? The reality is, is that we love each of them the same, but different because they have different personalities. They have different characteristics and what we love in one, we don't see as much in the other and what we see in the other, we see more of what we don't see in the the first child or the third child or the 10th child, however many you were brave enough to have. But what what Augustine is saying here is that God loves each of us as if there was no one else on earth to love. That's how great the Father's love. Several years ago, there was a book that made its rounds around the the church. It was called The Five Love Languages. It was written by Dr. Gary Chapman. And basically, the, the premise of the book is, is that everyone loves differently. Everyone has a different kind of love language. And one of the examples that he gives uh, for, for an example today is, is that you may have a man who his way of giving love to his family is by working a lot of hours, by, by working hard and providing for that family. Sometimes working a job that he doesn't even like But he does it because he wants to express love to his wife. On the other hand, his wife may express love by being close, by being together. And she may feel unloved because he's always at work and she wants him to be close by. He feels unloved because she doesn't appreciate the hard work that he gives and brings to the family. And so they struggle with this idea of love languages and and who is speaking a particular type of love language. He goes on and he says that there are different types, for instance, physical affection. Do you ever know anyone that they love to touch, they love to hug, they love to kiss? You can see somebody else that they just go like this when you want to hug them. You know, it's like, don't hug me, don't kiss me, don't love me, I don't like it. It's the love language that is different. Verbal expression is one. Acts of service, provision, giving gifts, opening opportunities for others, spending time with someone. These are some of the common love languages. So the reality is, that if god is everything and if god is love and he encompasses everything about love then it would be safe to believe that god can speak any kind of love language that needs to be spoken in the moment and so he is a god that possesses these abilities so i want to share with you quickly this morning five different aspects of this idea that god is love and the first is we have to understand that Jesus is the divine source of the love, that God the Father, God the Holy Spirit, these are all resources and sources of love. John chapter 3 and verse 16 declares that God is a lover. Now, we correctly view God as a God of wrath, but sometimes we misinterpret this idea of holiness or of judgment of God through our humanness instead of his holiness. Everything that God does, even if it is judgmental, even if it is discipline, it's always done through love. He's not out to destroy you. You've heard me say this before. God's not out to destroy you, but he wants to develop you so that you can become everything that he has created you to be. So God is love. Some people view God as being indifferent. They wonder, how can there be so much evil in this world if there is a God of love in heaven who looks upon people starving to death and homeless men and women and sickness and disease? How could God be a God of love and be indifferent to the things of this earth? Something that God is temperamental. That he's happy on one day, and that he's sad on another day. That that, that he's loving one day, and 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 then on another day uh, he's angry, and he wants to uh, push righteousness upon you, and 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 hold you in contempt, so to speak. So we see him at times as being temperamental. But here's what we need to understand today: that God is love. It is the primary function of a holy God. He personifies love. In fact, if it has to do with God, it also has to do with love because God is love. So all of his attitudes and all of his actions are surrounded by this characteristic called love. I read this week a blog that was written by a man, and he described it like this. He said, mercy is God's forgiving love. Grace is God's undeserved love. Peace is God's comforting love. The will of God is God's unerring love. Providence is God's caring love. The death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ is God's proven love. Sanctification is God's nurturing love. Heaven is God's rewarding love. And eternity is God's everlasting and unending love. I like that, don't you? God's love touches every area of our lives and every blessing that he places upon us, they are bathed in his love. Now, the Old Testament makes it very clear that God loves Israel. How many of you know that those who stand with Israel are blessed by God? God loves Israel. But if all you ever read is the Old Testament, you may come up with the idea that God only cares about Israel. But in the New Testament, John chapter 3 and verse 16 makes it very clear that God not only loves Israel, but God loves everybody. He loves us all. His love is not just for certain groups of people or certain races or certain nationalities, but God loves everybody. And this is going to tear your mind up and your thinking up. God loves not just exclusively Christians. He loves the whole world. He loves them whether they're Christians or not. He them, loves them whether they follow uh, Muhammad or not, they, they, or Buddha, or uh, if they're atheists, God loves every individual. Can I just stray from my notes just for a moment and say that if God loves everyone... We've got to find a way to do the same thing. It doesn't matter if you're a Republican and you're upset with a Democrat. You better find a way to love them because God loves them. It doesn't matter if you're a Kentucky fan and you're friends with a U of L fan. You better find a way to love them because God loves them just as much as He loves anyone. God loves people. He loves white people. He loves black people. He loves uh, yellow people. He he under he loves Native Americans. He lo- he loves people of all sorts, shapes. He loves skinny people. He loves fat people. He loves tall people. He loves short people. He loves mean people. He loves, he loves joyful people. God loves people. And if God loves people, then we have to find a way to love them as well. Amen. Look at your neighbor and say, I love you. Romans chapter five, verses seven and eight says, for one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person, one would dare even to die. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. So that brings me to my second point, because we're unworthy of the love of God. But yet he loves us anyway. The scripture tells us that this world that we live in is a bad place to be. How many of you would agree, if you've watched the news lately, you know that it's a crazy world that we live in. It's a bad place to be, and yet God has put us here for a purpose and for a reason. We're not supposed to be changed by the world, but our life in Christ Jesus is to change the world that we live in. So it's a, it's a bad place. First John chapter 2 and verse 15 says, "Do not love the world or the things in the world." In other words, This world is just a place that we're passing through. How many of you know that? We celebrated 95 years for Miss Geneva today passing through. My dad made it to almost 87. I was talking with Brother Youngblood today about his dad made 90. And he said he asked him when he turned 90, he said, Dad... What do you want to do and where do you want to celebrate when you turn a hundred years old? And he said his dad never even hesitated, but he said, heaven. I want to celebrate in heaven. You know, that's the hope for the child of God. We want to live as long as we can. We want to be happy as long as we can. But the good news is, is that whether we die today or tomorrow or whenever it is, we have a hope and a future, and eternal life that will be forever in the presence of Jesus Christ. What a joy that it is. But we're unworthy of it. Martin Luther said it like this. God does not love us because we're valuable. We are valuable because God loves us. Isn't that good? God doesn't love us because we're valuable. We are valuable because God loves us. Now in this verse, there's a tiny little word that you may have just skipped over as I have so many times. It is the word "so." In the, in the uh, Greek language, it, it is the word puto, and it means in this manner. So what God is saying here through his word is not about quantity, how much God loves us, but it's the way that he loves us. It's not the quantity as much as it is the quality of God's love. He loved us by sending us his only begotten son. Contrary to popular belief, God doesn't do just everything or anything for us. God has already done everything that needs to be done so that you can be saved. When he sent his only begotten son, Jesus, to die on the cross at Calvary, he declared Jesus did on the cross, it is finished. You don't need anything else. You have everything you need through the gift of Jesus Christ for you to have eternal life. So let's look at this gift then. Let's look at the worth of this gift. I was always taught when I was a kid, it's bad manners to give a gift to someone and then leave the price tag on it. I, you know, I know sometimes we give the gift and we think, well, if they want to replace it or, or, or turn it in or, or, or exchange it, whatever, they'll have the receipt and they'll have the price tag. I always hated to get a gift that still has the price tag on it. Because if it's expensive, it's like, oh, well, I, I really feel uncomfortable now that you spent this so, mu- that, so much money on me. And then if it was at, gotten at the dollar store, it kind of makes me feel like, Well, I don't mean a whole lot to them. I don't like price tags on my gifts. So whenever you guys decide to get me a gift, take the price tag off of it. And that way my mind can just go crazy as to how much I think it's worth or not worth. But that's exactly what God did when he gave us Jesus. He left the price tag on because he wanted you to know that this is a valuable gift. The gift of Jesus Christ is the most valuable and expensive gift that you will ever have access in your life because he gave his life. Now, we know that Jesus was God's only begotten son. Now, in the Greek, the word that is used here is a big word that that is said pronounced monogenes. And it simply means the one and only. In other words, it is a unique gift. There's, there's nothing quite like it. There's no other gift. There's no other person. It is monogenes, the one and only. We see this term used nine times in the New Testament. Luke used it three times. In Luke chapter 7, verse 12, it says that Luke used the word to describe the dead boy that was raised to life who belonged to the widow of Nain. He was the only son of that widow. In Luke chapter eight, we know that Jairus had an only daughter that was dying and Jesus spoke the words and brought her back to life. But she was a monogenes child, the one and only. In Luke chapter nine, we're told about a father of a demon possessed boy who pled with Jesus to touch him and to help him based on the fact that he was his only begotten son. He He was the only heir that he would ever have. He was the monogenes child. We see it in the book of John five times. John 1 and verse 14, all about Jesus says, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us and we have seen his glory, glory as the only son from the father, full of grace and truth. John 1 verse 18, no one has ever seen God. The only God who is at the father's side, he has made him known. John chapter 3 and verse 18 says, whoever believes in him is not condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the holy son of god first john chapter 4 verse 9 says In this, the love of God was made manifest among us that God sent his monogeny son, his only son into the world so that we might live through him. And then John 3, 16, as we've already discussed, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever would believe in him should not perish, but have eternal life. The only other time that we see this Greek word monogenes is in Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 17, where it talks about Abraham's only begotten son, but the truth of the matter is, is that not only did Abraham have Isaac, but he had Ishmael as well but he was not considered to be a true son of Abraham because he was not a child of promise. The promise promise was upon Isaac. The promise was upon him. And so from God's perspective, it's not that he didn't love Ishmael, but he, he understood that the promise rested upon the begotten son of Abraham. So we learn then that this idea that that the only begotten, the monogenes, is God producing a gift that is unique from any other gift. One writer said it like this. There's no one else like Jesus. No one has been born like Jesus was born. No one lived like Jesus lived. No one died like Jesus died. No one was resurrected the way that Jesus was resurrected. And no one is going to return the way that Jesus is going to return. What we need to understand is through this line of thinking is is that when God needed to send the gift to this world, he gave the very best that he could give. Give, he gave His only begotten Son so that you and so that I could be saved. Amen. He didn't send one Son to the Muslims and another to the Buddhist and another to the atheist and another to the Christians. No. He gave one Son, His only begotten Son, so that whosoever, regardless of race, regardless of nationality, regardless of age, regardless of anything, His one son is sufficient to provide eternal life for each and every one of us. You are saved today because of Jesus Christ. There's a redeeming purpose in the gift that God gave us. Now there's another little word I want to take you to. It is the word for. You see this proposition for introduces a purpose. God didn't just give his son for the sake of giving his son. There was a purpose. There was a reason that he did it. Now, in John chapter 3, the beginning part, Jesus had a conversation with a man by the name of Nicodemus. Nicodemus just wanted to talk about religion. He just wanted to talk about what, what you do in order to do this thing called church or to do this thing called religion. That's what he wanted to talk about. But Jesus had a different idea because when he spoke to him, he confronted him with a spiritual imperative. And he said to him, you must be born again. If you're not born again, you don't have the blessings of God upon you. If you're not born again, there's no guarantee for blessing in your life. Hold on to your breeches now for just a moment. I don't care how nice and how good your loved one was, they will not make it to heaven and spend eternity in the presence of Jesus Christ unless they were born again. As a pastor, I hear people all the time telling me, well, heaven has gained another angel or heaven has gained another. But they, they, they never acknowledged Jesus Christ, never accepted Jesus Christ into their life. And I, I hate to tell anyone that if they did not accept Jesus, if they do not believe in him as the, the key to their salvation, then they're not going to make it to heaven. I understand that it helps soothe our grieving. I understand that it makes us feel better in the moment. But we must be careful that in that moment when we feel that surely God would not send my loved one to a sinner's hell, the reality is is that this book teaches that heaven is reserved only for those who have believed and received salvation through Christ Jesus. I'm not being mean, but somebody has to say it. And so that's the reason it's important for us to accept Jesus in our lives. John chapter 3 verses 14 and 15 says, As Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. You remember the story in the Old Testament. There was sickness, there was disease, they were being bitten by snakes and God came up with a plan where they took a pole and they they put a snake up on it and and what God was saying is is that if you look at the pole and if you look at that place that, that will bring healing to you then you will live but if not, you will die. There were many that lived. But there were more that died because they refused to look to the pole and to the sacrifice. And the reality is is that while we no longer look at a pole in the desert, there's a man named Jesus who has come to live among us. And for you to be saved and to find eternal satisfaction in his presence, you must believe and receive him as your Lord and your Savior. One day, the Swiss theologian Karl Barth, Barth was asked what he thought was the most important word in the New Testament. And when he spoke, he said, I believe that Upper is, is the most important word in Scripture. That word uper is a preposition, and it means on behalf of or in place of. So what he's saying is that the most important thing that you can understand about your spiritual relationship is that Jesus is the one who stood in your place. He hung on a cross at Calvary so that you would not have to pay for the sins of your life. Let's be honest, all of us were born sinners. All of us were born into a sinful world and it is through Jesus Christ that we find our salvation He is the significant person who can bring salvation. I'm going to tell you another thing that you're not going to like. Jesus didn't come to make you rich. He didn't come to make you wealthy. And he didn't come to make you happy. I'm going to tell you why Jesus came. Jesus came to make you saved. He came to cleanse you of your sins. We have a life that we're looking forward to in eternity that is going to surpass anything on the face of this earth. And God is much more concerned about eternity than he is the here and now. So if you're not happy, Happy today, that's all right as long as it leads you to Jesus. If you're not rich today, that's okay because he will provide more than you need in this life. We're not staying here. We're just pilgrims passing through on this earth. I have my sights fixed upon heaven, but I know the only way that I can get there is through Jesus Christ. Come help me if you will. I'm, I'm about to quit. I thought thought I'd hear some amens right there. I want to close by talking about the eternal benefit of the gift. Did you know that eternal life begins for everyone the moment that you are conceived in your mother's womb? The Bible teaches that he knew you before you were conceived in your mother's womb. And the instant that God, the creator, gives you life, you will never die. But you will live forever. You may not live forever on this earth, and you won't, because Scripture says it is appointed unto man once to die. And then the judgment. But you're going to live forever. You're either going to live together in heaven with Jesus or if you reject the message of the cross and you reject salvation through Jesus Christ, I'm sad to have to tell you that eternity will be spent in hell. You won't die in hell. You'll live in the horrors of hell throughout eternity. The scripture describes hell as a hot place, a heated place, The Bible describes hell as a place where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Inconceivable horror. A place where no one in their right mind would ever want to go. And yet, the scripture verifies time and again that if you don't accept Jesus Christ as your Savior, that's where you'll spend eternity. So, Pastor, why do you have to be so negative? I'm trying not to be. I'm just trying to tell you the way that it is. But I have good news for you. Do you know what the gospel means? The word gospel just means good news. Good news. John 3.16 is the good news. God gave his only begotten son so that whoever. Look at your neighbor and say, are you a whoever? Whoever believes in him should not perish spiritually, but have everlasting life because of him. You say, well, I don't know if I can live the life I need to live. You know what I've discovered is all you have to do is believe that he is who he says he is and that he did what he said he would do. And then he will begin a process of working out your salvation in you. I was just thinking this morning about how I'm so thankful that I am where I am in my life today because there was a time in my life 15, 20 years ago when although I was saved, I wasn't very good at being a Christian. How many of you know what I'm talking about? I, I still would say things occasionally that I didn't really want to say. I occasionally thought things that I didn't really want to think. Occasionally did things that I really didn't want to do. But I was still arguing with the flesh. I was still working out my salvation. I believe, in all the years of pastoral ministry that I've been involved with, the greatest excuse that I hear from people who refuse to live a Christian life is because they believe that they just don't have the strength to do it. But can I tell you that it's not up to you anyway? You can't buy salvation. You can't earn salvation? You live by faith, which means that when you step out of line, when you get angry with your spouse, when you get frustrated in traffic, when you do these kinds of things. I was, I was in traffic yesterday, and I looked next to me, and there was a lady in the car, and and she was just weeping and crying. She's trying to drive, and she's just... Tears are just pouring down her face and I was praying already, but I was praying about other things and I heard myself as I was praying. I didn't even put a period at the end of the sentence. I just immediately said, oh God, please help this lady, whatever it is that she's going through, Lord. I don't know the circumstances, but she is obviously upset in her life. Lord, bring her peace that she needs in this moment right now. I'm not not trying to say, there was a time in my life I might not have done that, but I'm growing in my relationship with Jesus Christ. I'm growing in my faith, and I want to encourage you to get started in your walk with Jesus Christ. He loves you. He's not out to get you. He will help you as you work out your salvation in fear and trembling before the Lord. He loves you. The scripture says in 1 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creature. And the old has passed away, and behold, the new has come. What we're learning in our walk with Jesus is that this life is preparing us for the next life. Most of you know that we just recently had a grandson, a young one in, in our family, and I was thinking about Henry this week and how that, you know, when he was in his mother's womb, there were things that he had with his body that he was not using yet. He had eyes, but there really wasn't anything to look at inside the mother's womb. He had ears, but I'm sure the only thing that he could hear was vibrations from from the mother's body. He had legs, but he wasn't going to go anywhere. I mean, where was he going to go? It's kind of confined. So he had things that he was not currently using. Do you know what they were for? Those things were preparing him for the day that he would be birthed into this this life. He's using those eyes now. He's using those ears now. He's using those legs now. He's not walking, but he can kick you in a heartbeat. You see, what he had in his mother's womb was not for then, it is for now. And what I'm trying to say to you today is, is that there are things in your life that have not sprung to life yet, but they will as you walk in your relationship with Jesus Christ. I want to conclude Conclude with this. I Last Saturday, I was called upon to... Uh, Perform a funeral for one of our members. It's good to see Margaret here today. Her mom, Mildred, passed away, and we did the funeral and celebrated her life. And, we, and when the funeral service was over, we went out to the cemetery, and it's in Mount Washington. There's a little chapel there in the cemetery, and we were going into the little chapel, and I went up front and stood, stood by the casket people begin to come in and there was a little girl. She's at church here today, isn't she? She's in children's church. I'm going to say she's five, six years old somewhere in that neighborhood. I might not be right, but that's, that's my guess. As people came in, she's sitting about right where Paul and Shannon are. Everything was quiet. And I noticed that she was observing the inside of that chapel. Everybody was quiet. We're just sitting there and she... She looked up at me and she said, if this is a church, there should be singing. And it took me by surprise. I was not expecting it. I had not prepared a special song for the day. But I know the Holy Spirit just like that spoke to me and I said to her, you're absolutely right, young lady. If this is a church, there should be singing, and I started singing,
1: Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so, little ones to him belong. They are weak, but he
0: around that little chapel there was not a dry eye in the house and it's not because my singing was so bad but it's because I believe the Holy Spirit allowed everyone in that room to know that Jesus
1: loves them so much
0: We went ahead with the service. We committed the body to the, to the earth from which it came. As we were leaving, the funeral home director, an elderly man came over and he put his arm around my, my shoulders and there were tears streaming down his face. And he said, I didn't expect that said I haven't sung that song in many many years but today God used that song to remind me of the father's love would you stand with me this morning i just believe that there are men and women in this house today that you just needed to be reminded today God is love He loves you more than you can know He's not out to get you He's out
1: to save you